0: What's up everybody? Welcome to episode 93 of the 2QB Experience podcast. The 2QB XP. My name is Greg Smith, I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And we've got John Proctor on the show. He's going to talk to us a whole bunch about DFS and just generally recap what happened in week 2, look ahead to week 3. Before we get to him though, I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by SquadQL. This is a lineup optimization tool. It's an app you can download for Apple, Android. Uh, Go to squadql.com, check it out. I was messing around with it earlier today, looking at my waiver wire, and I'm the type of person who really likes to maximize my bench, so I have a lot of players who I really like rostered who are not starters for me. And it's tough for me sometimes to find where those breaking points lie between a guy who I can keep on my bench and a guy who I can cut to go after somebody on the waiver wire, who I also like. SquadQL can help you make those types of decisions. It will pull in your league settings from Yahoo, from CBS, from ESPN, and give you recommendations for moves to make, trades to make, changes you can make to your starting lineup. Check it out. It's really cool. SquadQL.com. Let them know that 2QBs.com sent you. And now I'd like to welcome in John Proctor of the Power Hour podcast and the Quant Edge. John, it's good to have you on the show finally, man. It's been too long.
1: Yeah. Uh last time you, you saw you saw me and I saw you was uh out in LA for the you know the fantasy conference. You got to see me, you know, at my best when we were all out and you got to see me at my absolute worst when I was too hungover to even set lineups for the um <laughs> NFC championship game.
0: Yeah, I mean I wasn't I was at my best and my worst as well. So um we, we, we shared that experience together. It was very it was very Hollywood of both of us, I think.
1: Oh, Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, uh, let's not relive hangovers of the past. Let's talk about fantasy football of the now. Let's talk about week two first. Uh, Let's recap kind of what we saw and what stood out to us. Kind of big picture, what were your big takeaways uh, from the second week of the season? I think one thing, um, you know, we're we're all focused
1: on Mahomes, obviously, um, so there's not too much to go in there. But I think one thing that that's being overlooked a little bit is just how bad the Pittsburgh defense is and was. Hmm. Um, like Mahomes was great, but the Pittsburgh defense was just, could do what he wanted. Uh, so I think that's something that's gone a little overlooked. And then with regards to the Cleveland-New Orleans game, um, I think New Orleans is in a little bit of trouble. Um, their offense is pretty sort of obvious you know what they're doing uh, until they get Ingram back and then the Cleveland defense I think might might be kind of kind of real um I mean this is back-to-back weeks against great quarterbacks and they you know they did it
0: totally um I want to get to Cleveland but I want to touch on Pittsburgh which you who you brought up first and how far do we want to take this when we're looking at their defense as a potential matchup like I'm looking at Tampa Bay this week I'm looking at Joe Flacco in Baltimore in week 4 I mean, Fitzmagic, I don't even know how we can deny it anymore. I think he's gotta be in consideration for your lineups in week three, but in week four, like Flacco's a guy I normally just want no part of, but are you looking at him against the Steelers just because of how poor that defense has looked? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, Flacco will be, <clears throat> and hopefully he's, he's, you know, it's, you know, if Fitzpatrick really explodes against them, which I think is Certainly possible. And there's a chance that Flacco is going to get priced up on the DFS sites if this is like three weeks in a row that uh-huh. Pittsburgh defense just sucks against quarterbacks. But for, you know, QB2 leagues and for, you know, you get hit with a quarterback injury in, in week three, um, Flacco absolutely. And we've seen with the weapons that Flacco has, he's, I mean, he's put together back to back strong enough performances that you can absolutely start him against, you know, a middling to bad defense in Pittsburgh. I think by the end of the season going to be like bottom three.
0: Yeah, and I think Cleveland is a really good contrast to that because we can look at their upcoming schedule. They get New York in week 3, then they're at Oakland, and then they get Baltimore. We have Flacco again in week 5, and you know, based upon, you know, the previous two seasons and kind of our expectations coming into 2018, we might have looked at all three of those matchups as ones where we would want to stream the QBs against Cleveland, but I'm with you. After week 1, I wrote um a, a little article called process in hindsight, just kind of looking back at what I got wrong in week one, and the Cleveland defense being better than I thought was one of my big takeaways in that article, so I'm totally with you there, and I think some people might try to talk themselves into Darnold this week, and then maybe Derek Carr the following week, and I I mean, that just might be a mistake. This defense might be really good, right? What are you seeing from them that that has changed your mind, aside from, you know, just the performances they've put up? Like, is there any particular aspect of their defense that's impressed you?
1: I think... For one thing is that the, the secondary seems to be a little bit better than they were last year. Uh, I think, I think Ward is, is legit. Um, I think he's really shown that he was worth, worth the pick that he was. Um, and we saw, you know, we saw last year where the, with regards to their safety play and their, and their sort of depth at corner, teams just picked them apart even though they stopped the run. Um, but now I think they're, you know, they're getting pass rush, um, and they're, they're playing strong in the secondary, which is last year it was just a, you know, a solid defensive line and then sort of shambles all around it.
0: Yeah. The defensive line is what stood out to me in week one. The amount of pressure they were able to put on Roethlisberger. I was surprised at that because I kind of had the, the, pittsburgh offensive line pegged as you know one of at least maybe not one of the better ones but one of the like top half defensive line or offensive lines in the nfl and cleveland kind of embarrassed them to some extent and, and that has to do with expectations um more than anything else but yeah that's that's definitely something we need to keep an eye on we might need to be respecting that cleveland defense going forward let's get back to mahomes you you brought him up and i'm curious where you would be at on him in seasonal leagues if you owned him and let's say you kind of had your pick of, of a QB to trade straight up for Mahomes, which guys would you take in return? Like for me, it's, I think, Breeze and Brady I would still take. But after that, I start to have questions like, would you rather have uh, Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, who's a little hobbled? I think I, I'd still lean Rodgers, Cam Newton, Kirk Cousins. Like where are you at? How many quarterbacks out there would you actually want over Mahomes at this point?
1: Honestly, for me, it's probably, it's probably no one. We get in week 15, we get Mahomes, uh, at home against the Chargers. And then on week 16, we get Mahomes against the Seahawks. Um, so I think if your team is doing well right now, you've, you've pretty much solidified that you're getting the QB one for week 15 and week 16. And I'm just going to, I'm going to keep that. Uh, I think what I have seen though is, is people getting some, you know, insane value for Mahomes for like running backs. Like, you know, you trade. Mahomes and Peyton Barber for, like, Melvin Gordon, you know? Sure. I'm doing that. I'm doing that in a second. Um, but as for quarterback, I'm probably just going to hold on to him if I think I can make it to the playoffs.
0: I think I need to push back on you a little bit with that. Chargers matchup in week 15 because by then we would expect Joey Bosa to be back I mean that has to matter to some extent but are you not I, I mean are you accounting for that or or do you think do you think this Chargers defense just maybe was a little overrated in the first place and these you know injuries that they've had have just kind of exacerbated it in the early weeks do you, do you expect them to be better as the season goes on
1: I would if if I actually believed that Bosa was going to come back I just think that the team has been so weird about him that I have no expectations that he's going to either come back or, if he does come back, be effective. Um, I think we've had – it's pretty – you see a guy have two injuries to the same exact foot. First, the team says, uh, oh, you know, it's it's the same injury. Then the team says, oh, actually, it's it's two injuries to the same foot. He'll be back next week. He'll be back in October. He may or may not end up on IR. I just think it's one of those, like, weird things where who knows.
0: Okay, fair enough. I mean, and the point you make in general about their schedule is – a valid one. The worst Kansas City matchups ahead are, and most of these are kind of debatable. I just kind of listed the ones that might look a little imposing, uh, but week four at Denver, uh, week five home for Jacksonville, week eight home for Denver, uh, week 11 at the Rams, week 14 versus the Ravens, and then that week 16 or week 15 matchup we just talked about against the Chargers. The only ones I'm really scared about there with Mahomes are, are maybe Jacksonville and the Rams. Uh, yeah. I'm not too worried about Denver. Baltimore, I mean, they—that's not an ideal matchup, but I think that you know the Kansas City offense is is good. Like they, they can definitely put up points there, and yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of reason for optimism with Mahomes. I think I still would take some of those more known commodities over him, uh, if only because you look at the teams he's played so far this season, and we're talking about a Chargers defense missing Joey Bosa and the Pittsburgh defense, which we said is you know probably pretty bad. Uh, if, if and when he starts to face these tougher defenses, I'll be curious to see how he does. But with that said, he's got a lot of easy matchups on the schedule too. It's it's not too imposing going forward. What do you think about the running back injuries that we saw in week two? Uh, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Jay Ajayi. Is there any one of their handcuffs that you're more interested in than others? Um, and how are you reacting to those injuries at, at running back? I think
1: Geo is probably the guy that I am most, you know, wanting to go after, uh, because I think not only not only is he going to get sort of a, a bell cow workload like like we've seen him him get in the past for the next couple of weeks, but I think it, this also means that um, he's going to earn himself you know some some extra touches as they sort of ease Mixon in, and I, I doubt they're going to give Mixon the you know the 25, 30 touches that they had planned to give him again. Uh, when he comes back from the surgery
0: and what do you think about what's going on with david johnson in that inept arizona offense are you worried are you on a wait and see approach with him because i own him in a few leagues and i'm i'm frankly just kind of confused and, and i'm not really sure what to do i have to assume that they're going to start to be a little bit smarter about how they use him but they haven't done that to this point so i mean who the hell knows Uh
1: yeah it's it's just awful and it's like i mean he got you know Nine targets in week one, and that you know that was encouraging. And then he Mm -hmm. comes out and he gets two targets in week two, and that's not encouraging. And I mean, Sam Bradford is just dreadful right now. They don't. And I mean, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is great, but he's not really a guy who's you know opening up the field for you. And they don't really have anyone like that. You know, they don't have a Will Fuller uh, type player that you know, even though he's a one trick pony, he does wonders for the offense. They just don't have that. And that really hurts too, but on top of it, you know, the play calling has been horrible and and quite frankly, um, David Johnson hasn't been, I mean, it's not like he has made any massive plays himself, not to say that he should, but not really anyone's playing well there.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, like I said, I don't really know what to do. I think in most places you kind of just have to hold him because no one's going to give you anything in return in terms of trade, you know, relative to to where you drafted him. And I guess maybe that's not an ideal solution. Maybe I'm, you know, giving him too much credit and I'm not, you know, evaluating him as perhaps a sunk cost. Uh, Maybe you just need to get out from under him. I'm not sure, but I'm not really ready to bite that bullet after two weeks. What are you doing with Josh Gordon to New England? Is that something that, you know, perks your interest at all or because i'm of the mind that this is probably going to take him a little while to get acclimated and julian edelman's about to come back I, like i don't have a whole lot of high hopes for josh gordon in the short term but i mean he's proven us wrong on that sort of front before where he's kind of came out of nowhere and, and produced at a high level do you think he could do that with the patriots
1: yeah and see that's what's so tough is it's like <clears throat> if he got cut and they just signed him i wouldn't really think much of it the fact that they proactively traded for him uh-huh is what's so interesting especially because their wide receiver group has been so so bad um, just i mean they basically they had all sorts of guys in the preseason that they were rolling out there and they they basically just cut them all to the point where they didn't even you know they had three wide receivers so i think i think you have to be optimistic more so in the sense that he's just that much better than you know like Philip Dorset but you also have to be sort of pessimistic in the sense that I think Hogan and, and Edelman are two guys that are just so acclimated to the offense like you said, you know we may only see Gordon playing 60 70 percent of the snaps early on um, while he's there and at that point he's just he's just boomer busty you know at least while he gets used to it.
0: And what's your take on their running back core at this point because Sony Michel made his debut in week two, didn't do a whole lot. Rex Burkhead did even less. James White is James White. We kind of know who he is. Are you interested in any of those guys? Are you throwing any of them into your DFS lineups in a a small amount? Like, what are you doing with the New England backfield?
1: I think James White is the guy that I usually just have, at least on DraftKings where it's full PPR, Mm -hmm. exposure to every week. Um, The Rex Burkhead thing was weird. I think he only played – uh, like fifth, maybe fifteen snaps, something like that. Um, and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense because, uh, he had been out for the concussion and he had been cleared. So I don't know if, um, you know, something is lingering or, or something else is going on, but his usage was, was concerning, um, for anyone who drafted him and, you know, the fifth, sixth rounds where he was going. Uh, that's not something you want to see. James White is definitely the, the one I want to own just because I know. I know what I'm going to get from him. You know, you're going to get seven to ten targets and maybe two or three carries every week.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm kind of staying away from the other two. I I own Michelle on, you know, a lot of seasonal leagues, but I'm not looking to plug him into my lineup until he can kind of show that he's, you know, healthy and and going to be able to take over uh, a larger share of that backfield. What was the biggest mirage for you in Week 2? Like, what performance or storyline... Are you most skeptical about going forward?
1: It's, for me, it's going to keep being the same thing until I just give up. It's going to be, it's Philip Lindsay. Um, <laughs> I love this kid, uh, during the preseason, big fan of, of what, you know, what he does and what he brings to the field. But, um, he's, he is, he's small and I just don't think that this is a kid that, that should be getting uh, you know, 15 carries a game. I'm not sure that we're going to keep seeing him getting that. Um, I mean, either he's Jamal Charles and I'm I'm completely wrong, um, or he's not going to keep averaging you know five to seven yards per carry at 175 pounds.
0: Yeah, for me, the one that jumped out was Antonio Callaway with about 15 points, uh, but only on four targets. And I guess it is worth noting that he got two carries as well. And now that Josh Gordon is out of there, his path to playing time is a little bit more clear. This is less an indictment of Antonio Callaway and more an indictment of Tyrod Taylor. Like I just think as long as he's the quarterback there, Callaway's not a guy I'm going to be able to trust. Where do you land on Calloway? Uh, are you kind of in the same boat as me or, or do you, are you a little more optimistic?
1: I would, I would agree with you. Um, I think Callaway's definitely like a, like a dynasty guy you want, you want to own um, for Baker. Him and Baker looked amazing together in the preseason but the, I, I am, I'm, you know, I think Tyrod's fine. Uh, I'm not, I'm not the guy you see on Twitter flying the Tyrod flag because I just don't think that he necessarily elevates, um, guys on the field and he's gonna, you, we've seen Tyrod in the past. He sort of hones in on, on one guy. And I think that guy is, you know, most weeks it's going to be Landry like we saw in week one. I think week two was kind of a little fluky with, with Landry's usage. And I just, I don't think, you know, Callaway or Higgins, whoever the starter is opposite Landry, I just don't think they're, you know, three, four targets is probably what you should expect, and that's just, that's not bankable volume.
0: Yeah. Who was the boom of the week for you at quarterback? Which QB outperformed your expectations the most?
1: <clears throat> it would probably be, it would probably be Blake Bortles in that uh, I thought he would have a, a really good game, and I, I'd love to play Blake Bortles when um he doesn't have Fournette on the field. Um, he was one of, I think he was the fourth or fifth cheapest quarterback on FanDuel. He was a really strong play there. Um, but expecting him to go for, you know, 30 plus fantasy yeah. points there was, uh, that I wasn't expecting at all.
0: Yeah, he was my choice as well. I almost went with Ryan Fitzpatrick again just because I, <laughs> I really didn't expect him to do it against the Eagles defense. And, and there he was yet again, just kind of proving me wrong. But at this point, I'll, I'll believe anything when it comes to Fitzpatrick in fantasy, like he could come out and put up another huge week like that in week three, uh, or he could come out and lay an egg. And I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. He just, I, I don't know. I, I have no feel for what makes him good necessarily. I mean, I clearly what's making him good this year are all those weapons that they have in Tampa Bay, but I, I don't know. Like wh- where are you at on him at this point? Do you expect him to kind of hold that job past Winston's suspension? Cause I've, I've talked about this a fair amount on the show and, this is exactly what I was afraid of as a Winston owner is that Fitzpatrick was going to continue to perform well. And I was hoping that, you know, that matchup against the Eagles, this upcoming matchup against the Steelers defense, which, you know, coming into the year, we thought was at least pretty good. But I mean, as we've already discussed, they, they don't look good. He, he took it to Philly. Like, can, can he keep this up and, and hold off Winston for the rest of the year?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think, I think so. Uh, it's a, it's amazing what, uh, Deshaun Jackson can, can do to some, for some of these quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look back, um, you know, when, when he was in, in Philly, um, just the, you know, the amazing things that Deshaun would do. And then you look back at how he was last year with Jameis and Jameis was just not able to get on the same page with, with DJX. Um, and then Todd Monken comes in as the, as the OC with, um, with Fitzpatrick and just gets that, You know, just immediately starts firing, you know, play action deep balls to, to Sean Jackson and just completely elevates the entire offense. Uh, and you can see that it's, it's opening things up for Mike Evans, who was sort of a catch it and fall guy last year. Um, and it's opening things up for their, for their, you know, OJ Howard and Chris Godwin as well. And I just think it's just such an underrated aspect of how much you can do when a defense has to, fear Deshaun Jackson whereas last year they just didn't they didn't have to fear him and if Jameis has proven that he can't throw the ball to Deshaun then there's really no reason for Monken to put him put him out there when he
0: comes back so so you buy that idea that Winston just isn't as good of a deep ball thrower as Fitzpatrick because I look at what they're doing under Munkin and I think well wouldn't Jameis be at least not maybe not equally as successful but close close enough like I I, I, I don't know. Like I, I find it tough to resolve this because I really do feel like Winston is the more talented player. Don't you?
1: Oh, he one hundred percent is. It's just that if he can't get on the same page with Deshaun Jackson, then he can't he can't run Monken's offense.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's disappointing to me because I was all aboard the you know buy Winston at a discount because of the oh, suspension, and it's I I'm shaking in my boots, man. It's it's not. Looking like it's going to happen for me, and now I have all these two QB and superflex rosters where I might not have a QB three uh, because I, I I don't know maybe I should have been drafting Fitzpatrick more aggressively as a quote unquote oh. handcuff, but that's just so contrary to how I like to play that I I I don't know now I'm I might just be stuck between a rock and a hard place. So it's really tough. Let's go the other way. Uh, who was the bust of the week for you at quarterback? Uh, which QB underperformed your expectations the most in week two?
1: I think it was uh, probably. Garoppolo and and uh Russell Wilson. More so Garoppolo. I think um I mean I I ended up being, you know, it was tough to not play um Mahomes on any of the DFS sites where with the way he was priced, but I thought Garoppolo was a really strong option as well. And I mean we're through two two weeks and and he's just not, you know, he's not putting up the fantasy numbers that you were expecting him to be putting up.
0: No good one, though. I mean that's gotta factor into it.
1: Oh yeah, and I think I think it just goes to show how important he has, he was for Garoppolo and, and will be. Um, and I just think that it's, it's going to be tough to rely on him, um, without Goodwin if Goodwin's not back. But then you look at, you know, oh, he's facing KC. Like I, you know, I want to play him, but I don't know if I want to play him in KC, um, without Goodwin.
0: How is he priced relative to other QBs? Cause I imagine the matchup has him uh. pretty expensive.
1: That's the thing. He's just not that expensive. Mm. (laughs) That's what, that's what, yeah, it makes it really hard. The the poison Um, pill. Right.
0: Um, For me, it was probably Alex Smith and Andrew Bluck. I mean, that Washington Indy game was the fourth highest over under on the slate. Smith was my streamer of the week from last week's show. Did you see that coming because i I'm surprised you didn't mention either of them at least as maybe like honorable mentions because they both finished really poorly like even more poorly than Garoppolo in week two
1: yeah and i I thought that was a like a game that had some some shootout appeal to it um I just for for me I pretty much just wherever i was i was I was going all in on on Ben or Mahomes um where I could, but I thought. I thought that game, I thought the Minnesota game and that game were two games that no one was really talking about that, um, had some appeal for, for shooting out. And I think it, it sort of shot out, but Alex Smith was just not, you know, he wasn't throwing the ball down the field like we saw last year. And as long as he's going to just drop, dump off every play to Chris Thompson, it's great for Chris Thompson, but it's pretty bad for his fantasy upside.
0: Is that the DFS solution for Washington going forward? It's like, consider Chris Thompson as a, as a PPR play on DraftKings and then just kind of ignore most of their receivers for the most part? I mean, I guess Jordan Reed has to enter into some of these conversations as well, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it's just, you know, if there's a chance that they might be trailing at all, then Chris Thompson becomes an amazing play. He's like basically their wide receiver one right now. Mm-hmm. And then Reed Reed's tough because he's not playing all the snaps so you got to sort of anticipate you know i think yeah so he played 40 of 74 last week he played 41 of 79 week 1 and i think we all had the expectation that well you know he'll only play receiving snaps but then you you know you look at some of these other tight ends like doyle who are running 50 and 60 routes um whereas reeds only getting 40 snaps so the you know the touchdown upside is there but it really hurts him um from a PPR aspect when he's just not running enough routes to get, you know, get eight nine targets in a game.
0: Looking back through the first two weeks specifically for daily fantasy, what has kind of surprised you the most? Like and have you reacted with any changes to your process because of those changes or those surprises that you've seen?
1: So I think the the biggest thing um that has changed in the DFS landscape is how the sites are pricing um Backup running backs, uh, more so DraftKings than than Fandle, but they're both doing it. Um like for example, this week, if you look at uh pricing, um Gio Bernard is essentially the same price as green Hunt. Um he's 100 dollars less. So these these and granted Green Hunt's only on the Thursday to Monday slate, but just just giving you some perspective, uh, and then Latavius Murray's fifty eight hundred where he's you know two hundred less. So you look at these guys. That are stepping into, you know, starting roles. We, we, we think Latavius is going to step into it, but Gio is definitely stepping into it. Whereas last year, you know, Gio would have been 4,500 and the year or two before that, he would have been 3,000 because they wouldn't have even adjusted his price. So you really have to make some big decisions. And like, for example, last week, I think my, my big leak or my big mistake was um, playing too much TJ Yeldon. Just not really accepting that him at, at, you know, a 50, I think he's 5,600 or whatever he was, just wasn't a good price tag when I'm used to. I, I was sort of like in my brain thinking he was super cheap because he used, he you know, a year ago in that spot he would have been, but he just wasn't. So I think we have to be really careful with how we assess these backup running back situations because DraftKings and FanDuel aren't giving us those big discounts that they used to where they were just easy to plug and play.
0: Well, and he's still cheaper than, you know, the, the high-end guys anyway. So you, you feel like, subconsciously, you feel like you're getting a discount still. But you're right. It's not the same level of discount. And maybe that should be driving us more towards paying up a little bit more. Or at least being more careful about the spots where we pick the backup players. Because they're backups for a reason, right? They're, they're less talented in theory than the guys they're playing behind. The guys who got hurt. Or at least, you know, less likely to score fantasy points. I should say, maybe not. I mean, talent is a is a tough thing to to quantify sometimes. And yeah, maybe, maybe we need to be paying up more for the elite guys or the better guys because they have the role and they have, you know, that 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 talent or that perceived talent above these guys who we, who we aren't getting quite the same discount on. Is that kind of where you're at?
1: Yeah. So you know, like for example, you you know, you said, oh man. You know, TJ Yeldon, 5,600. And then you realize, well, you know, Christian McCaffrey was only 1,400 more. So it becomes a question of, you know, how much can you do with that 1,400 to really make that drop from him to Yeldon worthwhile? At least for me, I didn't, I didn't make enough with that money, uh, to make that a viable move. Whereas I think, you know, you say, Oh, you know, I can upgrade defense or I can upgrade tight end, but you should, you shouldn't be upgrading those positions. Uh, to drop off of an elite running back like that. I mean, you're better off playing Tampa Bay defense and Christian McCaffrey than, you know, Chargers and Yeldon.
0: And so you might have to refresh my memory. Where were you, Where were the prices at on, I guess, the more dedicated receiving backs? Because we looked at Yeldon as a guy who was going to get more carries as a result of the Fournette injury. But where was he priced relative to someone like Chris Thompson or like James White, these guys who – are basically PPR only plays, but in DraftKings that's good enough, right?
1: Yeah, that, and so Chris Thompson was was in the same price range at fifty nine hundred. Um, Thompson was a guy I think we all overlooked. Um, he made you know everyone sort of said, well, maybe this game could shoot out, and then no one played Chris Thompson. Um, and then James White was, uh, I believe he was forty five hundred, and he was. He was a strong play. Um, the problem was is that they, you know, they ruled, you know, ruled Rex Burkhead in, you know, early that that Sunday, and then it sort of made me sort of falter on White, and I don't think I should have. Um, and then like a Dion Lewis was five thousand, and I think he was kind of popular, and and he did absolutely
0: nothing. I want to get to the week three preview with John, but first let's get to a word from our sponsor. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and your rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based upon your starters, the bench players, and the free agent pool that's available to you. And if you're wondering how SquadQL actually does this, it connects directly with your leagues, either on Yahoo, ESPN, or CBS. It pulls in your actual roster, your scoring settings, And SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus gives you player rankings each week. It's all based on those league settings that you pull in. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season, so head over to squadql.com to download the app today. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, which is the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. And you can also download RotoQL for free both on Apple and Android. Check out SquadQL and RotoQL today. Alright, we're back. Week 3 preview time. And I do want to focus on Daily Fantasy, John, because that's your forte. And I'm definitely not an expert. I I love to pick your brain on this stuff. And the first thing that jumps out to me is how many big over-unders there are this week. I count four that are 52 points or higher. uh, A couple more are in the 47 to 49 range. And Minnesota has a... 28-point uh, implied total, or I think it's over 28, actually. So, with so many games projected for high scoring, how does that affect what you're doing, uh, you know, with your lineups?
1: Yeah, I think this is sort of a little different than we had last week, whereas last week was the week where, I mean, you could pinpoint, you could just, if you weren't saying Kansas City Pit is going to be the highest scoring, then you just, you weren't paying attention. So, you you could, you know, easily just say this game is the one that's going to shoot out. Whereas this week, you know, there are a couple different games that, that are arguable and granted Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay is on, as on Monday. So they won't be on the main slate, but that one's a big one as well. Um, but you can look at, you know, San Francisco, KC and, uh, New Orleans and Atlanta, and you can almost say they both have a chance to, to score, you know, well over 50. And then, you have the New England Detroit game which total is quickly rising uh, granted that's sunday night but the it's interesting that we have a few of those big totals and then we have a lot of games with just garbage totals yeah. um on this slate so it's uh it's definitely a game it's definitely a slate where you you want to focus on your higher scoring there's a lot of really bad games that you just they just don't have value outside of, you know, like Minnesota. If we get Latavius Murray, you know, it's it's him and Minnesota defense don't, you know, you don't want to get cute with some of these other plays in these really crummy games.
0: Now, when you talk about all those different games that could potentially shoot out, my tendency is to believe that because of how Mahomes has been playing, everybody's going to be on him. Everyone's going to be on the Chiefs. And that game particularly against San Francisco does that make you more likely to to try and be contrarian with players from the New England Detroit contest from the New Orleans Atlanta contest or do you think that in general the DFS community is sharp enough to kind of play across all those different matchups
1: So one thing at least like with usually on on most weeks quarterback percentages are fairly flat like um Mahomes was um, on DraftKings last week he was the stone cold best play um you know, he was six thousand dollars, which was just way underpriced. And then on FanDuel, um, Big Ben was I think seventy five hundred. They were both really you know underpriced, so they were very easy to play. And they, you know, I think Mahomes ended up being you know ten, maybe fifteen percent owned in the Millie maker, and you know like twenty percent owned in double ups. So I tend to not get too contrarian with quarterback. I just sort of play who I think is the best play because people make the quarterback mistakes all the time. This week it's a little tougher because you know Mahomes is priced up now. Uh on DraftKings, he is the QB two um, in pricing. And then on FanDuel, I believe he's the QB one. Yeah, for the main slate, he's the QB one. So you now have a decision to make. Um and this is where I think, you know, Garoppolo comes into play as a good play. I mean, we pray that Goodwin will be back. Um, and then you also, you know, you want to look at I'm not a big Matt Ryan fan in, in DFS just because he seems to put up stinkers um, quite frequently. Um, but, you know, Matt Ryan and Drew Brees uh, being indoors in Atlanta. And then I think another game that's that's sort of interesting that could shoot out, uh, even though the total is kind of dumpy, is the Cincy Carolina game. Um, a lot of those players are priced down. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a game that I think could have... You know, I I would, I'd consider the over on that one.
0: Yeah, the matchup of the L.A. teams is another one that I'm at least intrigued by. You know, Chargers and Rams that has a 48.5 over under as I'm looking at it right now. I think there are ways that you can try to mine value, but but I am with you. Like in general, I don't necessarily want to be too contrarian if I if I think I know what the best play is. Now, when Mahomes is the QB one or the QB two in pricing that that you're right it's it's tougher to figure out if he is that that player he probably isn't just because you never want to be paying up quite that much at quarterback but man he's been so awesome that he maybe he's worth it who knows um give the listeners a stack or two that you like a quarterback and receiver combo for week three
1: yeah so on DraftKings I I really like Cam this week um with Funchess Funchess uh Price didn't go up very much he's Still 5,000. He was, uh, I think 4,700 or 4,600, uh, last week. You know, he got enough targets that makes him, you know, viable. I think he, yeah, he had nine. Uh, I think as long as Olsen's out, we're going to see him getting into that eight to 12 target range, uh, and he's red zone option. And then, you know, this is a Cincy defense that even though they played well against Flacco, they did, you know, they did give up 300 yards to Flacco and.
0: And Flacco's bad. That's,
1: yeah, so. <laughs> let's, let's be real. You know, this, and, you know, there's, there's definitely concern for, um, the O line for Cam, but, you know, he just seems to get it done anyway. And Cam's pretty, pretty cheap this week at, at 6000 on DraftKings. And then on FanDuel, um, they just, they just don't want to, um, increase Bortles price. So Bortles is super cheap again this week. He's the same price as, as Joe Flacco. And with Bortles, I think the stack you want is, is Keelan Cole as your number one option, but the, you know, what's sort of nice about Bortles is you can kind of, you can stack him with any of those guys if you want to get contrarian. I mean, that they all have massive upside for, you know, the types of players they are. Um, DD Westbrook, Keelan Cole, um, Moncrief, we need to, you know, sort of wait on his, his injury status, but you know, Austin and Jenkins, you know, he's got the weapons that you can sort of just stack him with whoever you want if you have interest in him. And all of his receiving options are super cheap.
0: Yeah, see, I look at Bortles, and because he has such variability when it comes to those receivers, I, I my tendency is to want to play him without stacking. Is that do you feel that's incorrect? Do you, I mean, is that just a cash game mentality? What what am I doing wrong here when I when I see him and I evaluate him in that way?
1: So in like smaller field tournaments, you know, there's three thousand entries, five thousand entries, five hundred entries, then I'm probably not stacking Bortles with anyone. I'll probably just I would use him by himself. Um, in the tournaments though, where you've got, you know, 20,000 entries plus, um, I'm always going to stack him just because really the only way that I'm getting into the top five is if, you know, Bortles hits a guy for 101 and I have that guy too.
0: Are there any other quarterbacks who stand out to you as players you'd be less likely to stack or does it all just depend on, you know, the format of the contest type, like you said?
1: It's, um... Guys who don't have concentrated offenses. So, you know, like a Kirk Cousins, you're always going to stack him with someone, and if you're not, right. you should be. Um, but then you have like, um, you know, even even an, an even a, a like a Philip Rivers, you don't always have to stack. I mean, granted, Keenan Allen's going to be the stack that you're going to want to go with, but you know, he's got so many weapons that you you know you just don't have to. Um,
0: Goff comes to mind for me, especially yes. because of how much he throws to Gurley, and that's just such a. Tough pill to swallow is is stacking him with a running back, uh, yep. where and and he has so many viable receivers. He's another guy who jumps out to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this I think this is sort of a weird year in that we have a lot of just QB wide receiver connections. I mean, you look at even like you know Case Keenum, Emmanuel Sanders, you know Dalton Green, Luck, Hilton, and Doyle. Um, pretty much everyone that you're looking at, most of them have have a guy. You know, even a mobile guy like Deshaun. You know, he's just got you know it's Fuller and. And it's Nook, that's it. Um, Wentz, Wentz will probably be someone that will be a little tougher to stack, um, early on because his receivers just sort of keep dropping like flies. But, um, I mean, obviously it's, it's Aguilar and Ertz, but I think they kind of have a little bit of capped upside, um, at least for, for the early, early portion of him getting back into form.
0: Yeah. And even some of the lower tier guys, Often have that you know number one receiver who's pretty clear like Derek Carr, Mari Cooper, Ryan Tannehill, Kenny Still, Sam Darnold, Quincy Anunua seems to be a thing. Are, are oh, yeah. those deeper plays things that you're looking at in your DFS lineups?
1: For them, I'm usually more focused on their their wide receiver. Like I, I really liked Quincy Anunua last week. Um, he's going to start. He was just stupid cheap on FanDuel. I'm um, sure he'll start getting more expensive. But yeah, so these, you know, these guys that are, that are really focused on a wide receiver that are, that, that kind of stink at, at quarterback, I'm, I'm more apt to play just their wide receiver than, than them. Like, uh, you know, maybe Gabbard or Mariota, you know, they're throwing to Corey Davis a ton. You know, I'd I play Corey Davis, but I wouldn't play Mariota or Gabbard.
0: Now, I don't know if you've been playing much of the Superflex DFS, but in those types of contests, would you be more likely to use those cheap guys so that you could unlock you know, maybe a more expensive quarterback or more expensive options at other positions. Is it more worth it to use the, you know, bargain basement QBs if it's a super flex contest?
1: Yeah. And um, I think that just has to do with more of that. They're not they're not getting priced up quite as much as the upper tier guys are, are getting priced up. Fandle sort of Fandle sort of has gone back and forth a little bit with that. But for the mm-hmm. most part, it seems like it's almost like a percentage multiplier where, you know, if a quarterback's a nine thousand on the regular slate, they're gonna be, I don't know, ninety-eight hundred, ninety-nine hundred on, you know, on, on superflex, whereas the six K quarterback who's, you know, sixty five hundred is gonna be sixty-seven hundred. You know, they just don't get as big of a bump. So I'm I'm definitely more focused on them there.
0: Makes sense. Getting back to kind of just general quarterback evaluations for week three who is your favorite or who's the most intriguing quarterback streamer to you looking kind of for a, a low end QB two or QB three type who owners wouldn't always start, but you know, based upon matchup or some other factors, you're looking to get into your lineups this week.
1: It's definitely Blake Bortles. As long as Fournette is out. Um, it's definitely Blake Bortles. Uh, massive history against Tennessee. Um, just, just huge numbers against them for whatever reason. Uh, and it, it's weird that you can actually pull up Portal's splits and he's actually played better in his division, uh, than out of it, which is, you know, just par for the course with Blake Bortles. But <laughs> the, um, as long as, as long as Fournette is out, they, they, you know, they just completely changed the offense. He's a lot, he's running a lot more. Uh, it's a spread, a spread system sort of. And, you know, based on the, the report that Fournette heard a pop in the hamstring, uh, I don't think we're going to see him back this week, especially against Tennessee as, as garbage as they've been.
0: Can, can you explain for the listeners a little bit more what you mean by you know Bortles' success against his division, uh, and kind of w- what really typically tends to happen with uh, common opponents for quarterbacks?
1: <laughs> yeah, so normally you you would want to downgrade a quarterback at least a little bit when they're playing in division, just because uh, these op- opposing teams are used to these guys. You know, they have more film, they've studied them more, they're able to evaluate their tendencies more. Um, then we have Bortles who just for whatever reason, is just uh, averaging more fantasy points against his divisional opponents than he is against opponents that are not divisional, which is just makes no sense at all. But we now have fewer sample size to say, well, uh, here he just keeps doing it.
0: Yeah, and one of the biggest examples of that for a long time was Andy Dalton. Uh, he he yeah. really tended to struggle against common opponents teams that he faced more frequently and not just in his division. Like if he had played a team more frequently over the past two or three seasons, he would tend to struggle in those matchups. And And I mean that, that made that one. Yeah. I mean the week two uh, against Baltimore for whatever reason, didn't turn out that way. I mean, he only had 265 yards in that game. Like a lot of his success there was mostly because they got amazing field position from their, from their defense. But yeah, I mean, I, I digress here. Um, what do you think about Tannehill against Oakland as a streamer? Is Oakland a matchup that you're at all interested in targeting?
1: Yeah, I think T- Tannehill is someone I had been, I had been sort of looking at price wise um, as I was scrolling up FanDuel and I thought, Oh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty nice price against Oakland. And then I sort of was digging into, you know, his, his attempts and he's, 28 and 23 attempts so i i struggle with seeing his upside um but as for a guy who's had a solid floor um you know 15 and 17 fantasy points over the last two weeks in a you know team that's a run first offense a guy that'll give you a little bit on the ground i think he's he's a reasonable streamer i just think that he's a guy that's really not going to have many pop games this year. Um, and I struggle to see it against Oakland, who wants to run the ball too. These are, yeah, for whatever reason, Gase just has decided he wants to run run the ball this year.
0: Yeah, I I have been impressed with Tannehill, though, in, in the limited amount of work he's had. And, and I kind of regret it because a, a year ago, before he got hurt, he was a player I was – you know, a little more optimistic on than the consensus, and I wish I had kind of remembered that when I was ranking guys preseason this year, and kind of held on to some of that belief in Tannehill. But you know, coming back from injury, coming back to a Dolphins team, which I mean, I, what are they two and zero right now, aren't they? I mean, despite the fact that they're two and zero, I just don't think that they're actually that good, and. It, that fear of you know him being on a bad team, that fear of him coming back from the injury is kind of what pushed me off to But I wish I had at least given a little bit more consideration to him potentially just being a, a viable player week to week as this streamer type. Um, let's go the other way again here, John. Who is your clipboard holder of the week? This is the quarterback who you would normally start, but you're avoiding this week for whatever reason. <laughs>
1: um. I think one that one that's almost cheating is is probably Philip Rivers. Um yeah. if you've got if you've got Rivers as your QB1, you know, flipping him out for for a Blake Bortles is something you you should you know, you should definitely be doing. Um this is a it's a weird week in that there's not there's not many guys where I'm just saying, man, this matchup really sucks for my my, you know, QB1 or whatever. Yeah. But um Mitchell Trubisky, if you own him, um, you need you need to find uh, a new quarterback. Um, you know, granted, granted he gets Arizona this week, but um, I'm I'm not gonna keep playing him. He looks um, he looks horrendous. And then the I'm probably is, as awesome of a matchup as it is for Wentz. If I have somebody else that's pretty viable, I'm probably going to play them. Um, it's going to be tough for him in his very first week uh, coming back from the injury um, without pretty much any wide receivers, and it sounds like Jay is going to be out as well. So if, if I want to take a sort of good quarterback and a good matchup that I, I will probably shy away from, it's probably going to be Wentz.
0: How about the flip side of that with Andrew Luck at the Eagles? I mean, they, Fitzpatrick shredded them. I mean, could Luck do the same? Because he's looked pretty good in his first couple games.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what's tough is that the the, the O line is the concern for Luck, and the D line really seems to be the only thing that the Eagles have going right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I mean, the back end for for Philly is is giving it up if you can if you can get there. Uh, we I mean, we saw Julio uh, you know obliterate them week one. So if if Luck and there's there's concerns about him pushing it downfield too, which is where they're really getting hurt. So I think luck is somebody that you could definitely sit sit to because this matchup just doesn't line up right now with his low his low A dot throwing.
0: And maybe the high end version of your take on Trubisky is Russell Wilson right now. I, I think it's I think he's fine and I think you can use him, and I think him going against Dallas is, you know, a pretty good spot, but like Luck, he has a, a ton of problems up front blocking for him. And I'm wondering if maybe we need to be a little bit more wary of using him. But Maybe not necessarily this week in this matchup. But, I mean, Dallas' defense has been a little bit better than advertised, I guess. I, just, I, I worry about Wilson just based upon the fact that Baldwin's hurt. Their offensive line is a mess. Do you have any concerns about him? Maybe not necessarily this week, but going forward. I mean, I, I don't know how you couldn't, but you know what I mean? Like, how... How bad are, are your worries when it comes to Russell Wilson?
1: Well, I actually circled Dallas defense as, um, like my, my streamer that I would be recommending for, for people that, you know, you, there you go. I don't know. You've got, you got the Chargers against the Rams. You don't want to play the Chargers. So, you know, you don't know if you want to drop them or, or bench them or whatever you want to do. I think, I think Chargers are probably getting close to benchable or just close to droppable. Um, Dallas is a team that you could pick up. Um, you know, they're, they're getting pressures. They're getting sacks. And this is a, you know, a Seattle O line that's giving up those sacks. And if I can get four or five sacks, that's really all I care about. Um, hope for a, you know, a fumble or for an interception as well, even if they give up points. And with Russ, it's so tough because, you know, we've seen this before. It's like how, for me, it's almost how long are we going to have to wait for them to just unleash him again? Yeah. And do we have to wait for the second half of the season, or is it going to come sooner? Because it's tough to use him until that happens.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I, I'm worried. Like, I I mean, the new, the new offense they've installed there, the new coordinator, we got Schottenheimer calling the plays. Like, I have a feeling they're going to be stubborn about it, and that's one of my big concerns here. I, I actually want to go back to uh, this idea of Phillip Rivers going against the Rams defense. So we know it's a tough matchup, but... At the same time, Rivers has been dealing through his first two games, albeit both in good matchups, Kansas City and Buffalo, but over 22 fantasy points in each. Do you think there's any potential contrarian value with Phillip Rivers in this tough matchup? And, you know, uh, the game has a high over-under. Like, it seems like it could shoot out if the Chargers can put it together. A- am I crazy here for even suggesting this?
1: No, I think I think there's, there's always some contrarian value in that. Um, I think... I think I'm considering sort of Melvin Gordon as the okay. more contrarian play. Um, the way the Rams sort of line, match up with teams is they have three really strong corners, which is what Denver used to used to do before the Rams poached to leave from them. And uh, it sort of limits, it sort of forces you into the middle of the field and the, the Chargers don't really have a tight end to take advantage of that. So I think we're going to see a lot of, of Gordon and Eckler, and I think this is a, a week where Eckler is definitely in, in, you know, contention as a streamer. I mean, he, as like a streamer flex running back, he has been for the last two weeks, and I think he will be again this week. Um, and I mean, Rivers does have an, you know, he's got the nice price on DraftKings where he's been priced down to 5,800 and he has been playing really well, but man, it's scary.
0: Well, like you said, there's so many. There aren't that many matchups that scream out to you as being bad matchups this week. So why take the risk, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I will say, you know, the price is nice, but then you look, you know, two hundred dollars more on DraftKings you can get Cam Newton. So stuff. And then I mean, in season long, you know, I'm not I'm not benching Rivers for, I don't know, Eli Manning, but you know, I'm probably benching Rivers for a Blake Bortles as long as Fournette's out.
0: Yeah, makes sense. John last thing before we go give me a bold prediction for week 3.
1: Fitzpatrick outscores Mahomes.
0: Ooh, I like it. Do you can you back that up in any way? I mean, it's a bold prediction, you don't have to back it up. I mean, that's kind of the point, but um what do you like about is, is it just that he's going up against that Steelers defense that, you know, we've already talked about being not very good?
1: Yeah, and I think the Steelers um Steelers have more opportunity to put up points um than the San Francisco offense that just looks, looks shaky right now. Um, unless, you know, unless Goodwin comes back, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of high hopes for, for Goodwin, even, or, um, for Garoppolo, even though the matchup is phenomenal. I just think that, you know, the better offense is Pittsburgh and, and that's going to give us more opportunity for, for a shootout.
0: So do you think this might be a week to move off of Mahomes and move a little heavier in on Kareem Hunt? Maybe expecting him to get a, you know, kind of a bigger workload and score a few more points for Kansas City?
1: Yeah, I think I think Hunt's really interesting on DraftKings too, especially because he's um he's dropped so much in price. I mean, he's he's literally $100 more than Giovanni Bernard, and that's just it's just wild.
0: Well, and that's that kind of pitfall we were talking about earlier. You can look at Bernard as this newfound workhorse but you don't have to pay up that much more for a guy who was already a workhorse and a guy who was already the clear-cut RB1 on his team I I love that that's that's a great great find right there Um, my bold prediction is that Baker Mayfield is going to take over as the starter for Cleveland midway through their Thursday night game I I think it's time and you know it it gives they have the long week ahead of them to kind of install him in the offense but I think they might try to get him some reps if Tyrod or or Tyrod Taylor can't put it together on Thursday night football. Where where do you land on the toe rod versus tie rod debate?
1: Um, I think, I think it didn't, his parents say they named him tie rod. So like, sorry, dude, your, your parents named you tie (laughs) rod.
0: Parents always know best, man. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah. Well, Hey John, thanks a lot for coming on the show listeners. You can follow him on Twitter at John Proctor DFS. You got anything you want to plug before we sign off?
1: Um, just make sure you, uh, Check out the the new stuff that uh, TQE, the Quant Edge, is putting out. Um, make sure you, if you're interested in looking up that stuff, make sure you find Elliot Crest um, on, twi- on Twitter, and uh, he'll help you out with uh with their goods.
0: Yep, and make sure to check out the Power Hour podcast. It's one of the best, if not the best DFS shows out there to listen to. Um, if you have any questions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find the site on Twitter at Two QBs. Uh, You can email us questions, 2QBs at gmail.com. Please rate and review the podcast. That really helps me out. I'd appreciate it very much. I got a couple really nice ratings, actually, uh, during the two-a-day series that I did uh, during the preseason. So keep those coming through the regular season. That would be great. Uh, Otherwise, good luck in week three, and we'll catch you next time. Adios.